All right. So growing up Lutheran, we always had an Advent wreath and would light it. And often it really didn't have anything to do with the sermons themselves. There was just a reading and there's a lighting and that was just, it was just part of the, the common rhythm of what we did. But for, for us, we're actually going to tie in our sermons to the Advent wreath theme each week. That's what we're going to do. And if you go, say, Google Advent wreath and what it means, you'll find that there's lots of different approaches to it. Sometimes the candles represent characters rather than words like shepherds and angels and Mary. And, um, and rarely, actually, is faith one of the four. Usually love is uh, the four. I ask that we exchange it. I wanted us to start with faith. Um, But we are going to focus in on that, and like Ali said, we have readings that will will, uh, reinforce that. What we're going to use to talk about our theme each week when we give the message is part of Isaiah, a prophet book in the Old Testament, the longest uh, prophet book in the Old Testament, and other verses might be used uh, on any given week, but we're going to take sections of Isaiah and use it. Now, Isaiah in my mind, is like the uh, majestic prophet book. It is huge. Like if you read, there's different parts of the Bible where I think some people could think like, I really got this down. I've got this, this mastered. I don't think anyone can master Isaiah. I think at best you can be mastered by Isaiah. You are getting into just a richness. Isaiah is talking to people who are in darkness, There is darkness all around. There is national crisis happening. His prophecies, what he speaks ahead that comes later in the book often, are speaking to when a crisis isn't just on the horizon. They are in the midst of it. They have been exiled. They have been taken away from their their land. He is speaking at all sorts of different levels to the people that he's living among, but also things that are to come. Things that came when Jesus came the first time. Things that are still to happen when Jesus comes again. So it's just a lot to take in. And, and um, it's okay to read Isaiah and not really understand the context some of the times. Just let the Lord speak through the richness of his word. Uh, that's what can happen. Now, I'm going to try to give a little bit of, of context to help us, but today what we're going to do is we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 50, which is 11 verses long. And there are three distinct uh, sections to Isaiah chapter, chapter 50, because Isaiah will bring a theme for a little while, and then he'll step over here, and then he'll come back to that theme a little bit later. And so there's three different um, pieces to this. So that's what we're going to look at. Isaiah chapter 50. Verse 1 says, this is what the Lord says, where is your mother's certificate of divorce with which I sent her away? Or to which of my creditors did I sell you? Because of your sins you were sold, because of your transgressions your mother was sent away. When I came, why was there no one? When I called, why was there no one to answer? Now I'm going to pause there and um, I'm not going to get into the details of, of how he's using this metaphor of, of divorce or having to be sold into slavery. Um, I'm, I'm not going to get into that. I'm just going to explain what he means by it here. Because he's picking up from, from things that he talked about in the previous chapter 
where uh, he is talking about, I am coming to bring salvation. I am coming to save you. I am coming to rescue you. I am coming to redeem you. And uh, there's a part in there where they, they say, like, hey, I think he's forsaken us. The people are saying, I think God's forsaken us. I think he's forgotten us. And he's saying, why do you say that? Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? Does she have no compassion on the one she's given birth to? Well, even if some mothers are like that, I am not like that in any way. I have written you on the palm of my hands. And what what the Lord is saying is like, I care about you. You're in crisis. There is darkness all around. You don't know what's going on. And you think it must be that God doesn't care. That God doesn't see me. That God doesn't notice me. He said, no, I want you to know. I care about you. The deepest compassion, the, you know, a, a mother who loves her newborn baby, that is how much I think about you and care about you. And, but when I came, why was there no one? When I called, why was there no one to answer? It's not because I left you that all of this has happened. It's because you left me. You, when I was there, when I was saying it for years, for decades, for centuries, as a people, you were distracted by all kinds of other things. You were focused on everything except me. That's why all this has taken place. But I am coming to bring salvation. So motivation is the first thing that God's saying, like, is it because I don't care about you that you're living in darkness? No. I care about you. I'm bringing salvation. Then the next question is, Was my arm too short to deliver you? Do I lack the strength to rescue you? By a mere rebuke, I dry up the sea. I turn rivers into a desert. Their fish rot for lack of water and die of thirst. I clothe the heavens with darkness and make sackcloth its covering. So the first question is, does God care? Is he motivated to help us and save us? The second question is, is he able to? Is he capable of saving us? And what he's alluding to here, what the prophet alludes to, is things that happened in Exodus when the people were slaves in Egypt, and he dried up the sea. He he had darkness cover the land. He, He took over creation at times. He did all those things to save them and deliver them because he's able to do that. He is over all. And so he cares. He's motivated to save his people and... And he's able to. He's capable of it. That's the first section. He wants to save people, to rescue people who are in darkness, who are in confusion, who are despairing, who are sad, who don't know what to do. He wants to save them. And he's able to save them. But they have have ingrained habits as a people of being, not paying attention to him. Now, this next section, the next five verses I'm going to read, five or six verses, is one of the songs of the servant in Isaiah. There are four songs of the servant. The other three, this is the third one, the other three are really clear. They say, this is my servant, you'll say my servant, and then do it. This one says my servant afterwards, and it's more, you know that because of the context. But these are, they're songs because in the original language you can tell the poetry of them. But they're about the Messiah, 
And the Messiah in the first part of the book is, ta- is referred to often as a king. He's going to come in the line of David. He is going to sit on David's throne. He is the descendant of David. So it's the king side of the Messiah. But in this middle part of the book, there's four songs about the servant side of the Messiah. So this is talking about the Messiah, the next six verses. The sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me, who will condemn me. They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. So in the first two songs of the servant, it talks about the servant is going to come and bring justice. Multiple times, he's going to bring justice. He is going to make things right. He is going to bring salvation. He's going to save and rescue God's people. He is going to bring justice. Now we get to this third song. And if you're a people who have been hearing about, there's a God who's going to make things right. There's a God who's going to bring justice. There's a God who's going to, going to pay back for the bad things that have happened to me. You are ready for him to come and kick butt. That's what you're waiting for. The God who's going to send his champion, his hero for us, and he is going to wipe them out. He's going to punish them. And instead, when we get to the third song, it's about a servant who's done nothing wrong, is guilty in no way, and yet willingly absorbs punishment. He absorbs the punishment that should be inflicted. He's going to bring justice. He's going to save. And so he comes to absorb punishment? He gives them his cheek? That's what it says. Last two verses. The third section. Who among you fears the Lord and obeys the word of a servant? Let the one who walks in the dark, who has no light... Trust in the name of the Lord and rely on their God. People who are in darkness, confusion, pain, anxiety, depression, they should, are encouraged to walk trusting God, putting their faith in God, relying on God. Verse 11, but now all you who light fires and provide yourselves with flaming torches You go walk in the light of your own fires and of the torches you have set ablaze. This is what you shall receive from my hand. You will lie down in torment. Wow. That's a contrast. A a familiar passage that people 
will readily recognize is that God helps those who help themselves. There's a huge percentage of people, including Christians, who, who you know, recognize that in the Bible. The problem is it's not in the Bible. And it's not just that God helps those who help themselves isn't like listed verbatim in the Bible. It's also that the Bible is filled with the opposite encouragement. God helps those who put their trust in him. You put your trust in yourself, and God says, okay, then walk in your own strength. If you don't want to trust me, you want to be on your own, you want to light your own fire, okay. But the end is going to be destruction. We have been made, we have been created to be in connection with God. That, we, that he is God and we are not. That is how human beings work. But there is something built inside all of us, and it goes all the way back to the beginning, that wants to say, I am God and I don't need you. I can do it myself. I will take care of it myself. And so sometimes this looks like people who just are, are very groups of people or individuals who are just very like, I don't need God. I am going to live as if God doesn't exist. We are going to live as if we can take care of everything and we don't need, if we got enough education or technology or at least we can entertain ourselves enough to distraction that we just don't even need to think about God. We don't need to trust God. We don't need to live for God. And it can be very blatant that way. There is another angle of this that is we go to church. We read our Bibles. We do the right things. And we do that so much that we start to build up a confidence in, well, I'm just better than other people. Of course, God owes me this because I've done these things. That too is lighting our own fire, is putting our trust in our own good acts, in our own we're good enough, and not in God and how much we need him. And so faith, trust, is saying, I need you. And starting here, what's interesting, this first candle of faith, it's like it gets lit and it's not being shown. He doesn't say, let those who are in darkness trust in me and then light is right there. While we're still in darkness, while we still don't know what's going on, we trust. That's part of what faith is. I can't see God. I can't see what he's doing. I'm not sure what to do right now. But I'm going to trust you. But how does a person get more faith? If we don't have faith, how do we do that? Because it, when I'm in darkness, everything is saying, I need to do something about it. And don't get me wrong, it's not that we don't... Uh, we just stay passive and don't do anything. That's not the answer. But if we act, we act in faith. We act by trusting in God. And if we don't act, we wait in hope. We wait by trusting in God. But I can't help it if I don't, I don't know. You didn't come through for me on this one thing. I'm not seeing you here. I have doubts about this. I have all these things. So how do we get more faith? Do we try? You know, I'm going to get more. I'm really going to believe even though I doubt. How do we get more faith? And at least one of the answers, I think, is to focus on the faithful one. Focus on the one who is faithful, the faithful one. So the servant, the Messiah, 
back then, these are things about like who is coming when this originally was written and in the hundreds of years leading up to it. But we know the one who has come, Jesus the Messiah. And Jesus the Messiah fits this servant description perfectly. This is who he was, that is what he did. So let's look back at, starting with verse 5, let's look back at what was read, thinking about Jesus, the faithful one, who is a model of, this is someone who trusts God. Because in the midst of what happened to Jesus, as he was being accused and wrongly condemned and convicted and punished and tortured, in that darkness, he stayed faithful. He stayed trusting that God's plan, he was a God, he was God, he was God-man, but in his humanity, he trusted God the Father, even when it was just completely dark. Verse 5, the sovereign Lord has opened my ears. I have not been rebellious. I have not turned away. I offered my back to those who beat me, my cheeks to those who pulled out my beard. I did not hide my face from mocking and spitting. Because the sovereign Lord helps me, I will not be disgraced. Therefore have I set my face like flint, and I know I will not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? They will all wear out like a garment. The moths will eat them up. Jesus stayed trusting This stuff can happen to me. I can be beaten. I can be spit on. I can be humiliated. All of that can happen to me, even though I'm completely innocent. And what I trust is if this is what God's put before me, he will take care of it. They can say whatever they want against me. What matters is what does God say about me? And I trust that I will be vindicated. And he trusted all the way, even in in darkness. Now, I think that a lot of times my anxiety, my sense of, well, I prayed and it didn't look like it happened, comes from my prioritizing of what I really want God to do, what I think is most important. What do we need the most as human beings? What we need the most is a connection with God. We don't do well apart from God. And since our sins and our sinful nature take us away from God, we need most forgiveness. That's what we need. So, you know, the the verses, when I came, when God, sovereign God comes, says, when I came, why was there no one? When I called, why was there no one to answer? When he says in the garden, Adam, where are you? Adam and Eve They're hiding from God because of their sin. When he came and said, Israel, where are you? They're all with their idols, with their stuff. When he says, Andrew, where are you? Well, when I'm feeling pretty good, when I'm doing okay, I'm right here. But whatever other percentage of the time, I'll do it myself, or I'll hide. And someone needs to come and restore my relationship with God. The fourth of the servant songs 
is from Isaiah 53, where it says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace with God was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. For we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and he laid upon him, upon the servant, the iniquity of us all. The servant came and said, I will absorb the punishment. I will absorb the punishment. So, when it comes to my finances, can I really trust you? When it comes to all I need to get done in this next month, can I really trust you? When I feel like I have too much pressure, when it comes to whether I'll be with anybody this this uh, holiday season, whether my kids will be around or my, whether I'll be alone or not, can, can I really trust you? There's all kinds of things when it comes to the fact that, of loss because of, of different ways that we lose people and we don't have them here. Can I really trust you? Because you would have come through. But when it comes to, do you care about me, God? He was crushed for us. Why? Because like a mother who cares about her baby, Like she did not forget, you are imprinted on his hands. He is willing to absorb the punishment. We can have faith because he's that faithful. Whatever it takes to make a way to have a relationship with God, he has come. The servant has come. He's been faithful and he's been willing to do whatever it takes. So we put our confidence in what he's done for us that he's been faithful, that he cares for us, that how we should have been punished has already been taken care of. We put our confidence in that. Now, just like there are four servant songs, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 49, Isaiah 50, and Isaiah 52 into 53, there are also four uh, uh, passages about the Messiah, but instead of about it being God's servant, it's about the anointed conqueror. It's a, little, it's a little less clear to see, but Isaiah 59, Isaiah 61, Isaiah 62, Isaiah 63, it's the anointed conqueror. And they match up in certain ways. It's talking about the tasks that the, the servant is going to complete, the first two. It talks about the tasks being assigned to the anointed conqueror, the first two. The third one is about the commitment of the servant or the commitment of the anointed conqueror. And then the fourth one is about the completion of the task of the servant or the completion of the task of the anointed conqueror. Why do I bring that up? Because a lot of what the anointed conqueror is going to do to make everything right again, to make government systems work again, to make health work again, that there be no more death and no more pain. The things that he's going to do, he's going to come and judge the living and the dead, and then he is going to make everything right. What the anointed conqueror is going to do, a lot of that is still to come. We are still longing for that and hoping for that, that wars would cease, that orphans would be no more, there would be no fatherlessness, there would be orphans would come and be part of a family. All of these things, what God has promised, they are still to come. And how can we have faith in the darkness when there are still wars, when there is still broken relationships, when there is still pain, when I don't know what I'm supposed to do, when the finances aren't working out like I want them to? What am I supposed to do in the midst? How do I have confidence in the midst? Because the one who came the first time completed the task. He did it. 
he was completely willing and he was completely faithful to fulfill what he promised he would fulfill. That same one promises, I will come back. I will make all things right. You can trust me. You can trust, even when it's darkness, even when you don't feel it, even when you're confused, even with lots of pain, even when you're sick, even when you, don't, you feel like you're not sure how you're gonna make it, you can trust me because I entered into that darkness. I will come be with you in the darkness, in the suffering, in the confusion. That is what he promises to do. He will be with us in it so we can put our trust in him. So I have three possible action steps with this. The first action step is that if you have not made Jesus the Messiah your Savior, if you have not put your trust in him, given your life to him, said you will follow him, then I would encourage and invite you to do so. He came and keeps coming for you. You are imprinted in his hands, literally imprinted in his hands, his love for you. You can put your trust in him. And he will help you now get through a world that's still dark with your own personal darkness all around you, emotionally, mentally. He will help you now and he will take you and be faithful to bring you into eternity when everything works like it's supposed to. If you haven't done that, I would encourage you, put your faith, put your trust on God. Recognize he is God and you are not. And we can't light our own torch to be good enough or capable enough to get to where we need to go. We need a helper. We need the servant Messiah. Put your trust in him. For all who have put their trust in him, my second thing would be, could you practice, even in this season that might be busier than normal for some of you, could you practice listening to him? Jacob, if we can go back to verses four and five. So these words are about the servant, about the Messiah. But Jesus says to those who've given their life to him, to those who put their trust in him, follow me, be like me. You can become like me. So we can do the same things he did. This is his practice. Verse 4, the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. That could be you. You can be the person by his spirit who has a timely word for people or text for people or post for people or gift for people or way to serve someone who really needs it. You can be that person. How did it happen for him? He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. The sovereign Lord has opened my ears. He wakens me morning by morning. One of the ways we have our ears wakened, one of the ways we listen is just to read this. 
We don't have to understand all the nuances of it. You just have to say, God, speak to me through your word. Help me know what you're saying through your word. You can, you can just read. Pick one. Read till you have something that stays with you and know that's the word for you. That's the instruction for you this day or this week. And now live from that place, and that increases our ability not only to be encouraged to make it through what's hard, but to encourage others, to be used for people. We need each other to be used to help encourage people to have the word or the action or the presence to sustain people who are hardly making it. It starts with us listening, and then we can be conduits of that. And lastly, as I encourage the worship, or as I ask the worship team to come up, I think we could just spend a few moments maybe acknowledging where we're sensing darkness in our lives and inviting the one who has, who is well instructed, who has the word to sustain us, for him to just be here with us. So we're going to close with a, a final worship song, but before we do, I just want to make space for Jesus. I want to make space that we would give ear to him and see what he might do in our midst, what he might say. It might be nothing. It might be that we just feel a sense of, you know, just as like dark, it's blank, it's nothing. And we'll trust. Or he might do the kinds of things he did all the time when he was here on earth. He might do the kinds of, he might show up kinds of ways that he has come to his people over centuries. By his spirit, in this moment, he might touch us or speak to us or bless us or prepare us or heal us. Who knows? He's in charge. What we do know is that he cares. And what we do know is that he's capable and able. And so rather than just light our own torch and take off, let's give a little space to say, you're in charge. What are you saying? What do you want to do? That's what we're going to do now. So let's pray. God, we want to waken our ears to listen. But as it says in this passage, you're the one who opens our ears. You're the one who opens our spiritual ears. You're the one who enlightens our our spiritual eyes so that we can see you and hear you and know what you're doing. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you, God, that you love us. Thank you that you died for us. Thank you that you didn't leave us in darkness. You came into the darkness. Thank you. Thank you that you know us by name. Thank you that we're imprinted on your hands. Thank you that we're never alone because you're always with us and you promise to never leave us or forsake us. Thank you that we're part of a family now. 
Thank you that all that we lose, you can redeem. Thank you that you can bring about good even in what's not good. Thank you. Thank you that we don't have to do it all ourselves, that the pressure we feel, you will step into. You will help us. And wherever we're feeling pressure, you will help us. Thank you. of us in this room are weary, weary from lingering sickness, weary emotionally, weary for reasons we don't even know why. Thank you that you know the word that sustains the weary. Please, out of your mercy, speak the words that would sustain us this morning. Speak them over us, whether we hear it whether you bring it to our mind or whether it's just spoken over us and starts to change in a way that we leave with energy instead of weariness. Trust you, God. God, we, we thank you for your forgiveness. We ask that you would cleanse us afresh this morning, that the blood of Jesus would be applied to all who believe in you afresh this morning, that the power of the victorious cross would be lifted up over us this morning, that darkness would flee in the name of Jesus, would leave us alone in the name of Jesus. God, and we thank you for your presence. We thank you for what your presence can do for us, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Thank you for ways, little ways, that some of us are sensing more of your presence, even in these moments. And I ask that that would increase now. Through your Holy Spirit, would we sense even more of your presence and more of your love more of you with us. However that's best for you to make known to us, we just pray, we would just know you're with us, that that would increase. 
as we worship you, that would increase in this room. That would increase for people who are watching online. More of your presence. Come, Lord Jesus. Finally, God, as we about to transition into worshiping you through song, would you give the gift of faith? It is not something we can work up. Would you give the gift of faith? Would you strengthen our faith? Would you increase our faith? Our confidence in you, our ability to trust you, even when we don't see what you're doing or know what you're doing or see you, would you increase faith in this room? pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.